smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is Cliff Schechter, one of your co-hosts here with the ever fun John Aravosis, my co-host. Hello. Hey, John. Hey. Uh, hey, so, <laughs> man, a few words, <laughs> man, a few words. Yes. So, uh, I, uh, am really excited about the guest we have here today. Um, great friend of mine. Um, I wouldn't call him a colleague cause I am below him, but, um, someone who I've been lucky enough to work with, we have professor Mark Godsey with us. Um, what to say about Mark. Mark is, uh, the Daniel P and Judith L Carmichael professor of law, um, at University of Cincinnati. Um, he is the head of the Ohio Innocence Project, where I'm lucky enough to serve as a board member. He's a former award-winning prosecutor for the, the famous Southern District of New York. You've heard that office mentioned often in relation to a certain guy named Donald Trump. In fact, Mark even uh, even mentored in his days there, uh, Preet Bharara. But he moved back to Ohio, uh, saw, let's call it, potentially the error of his ways and how people were being, were being prosecuted who were innocent and uh, started one of the most successful innocence projects, not only in the country, but in the world. Uh, so welcome, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Oh, and I should have also said uh, author of a terrific book, Blind Injustice, which everybody should get, which shows the ways in which we rely on junk science and, and biased you know, witnesses and other things to, to, to uh, convict people. But um, welcome. And um, you know, why don't we just jump right into it? Um, uh, you know, we, we sadly have had... Um, Protests, um, in some cases, have turned into riots, um, I would argue largely because of some of the police tactics and others. But in any case, we've let's call it civil unrest over the last couple of weeks over the originally the murder of George Floyd uh, uh, in Minneapolis, but others uh, in, around the country, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, not far from where Mark and I are in Cincinnati. And um, it feels like this is a moment of reckoning. Uh, when we're really finally dealing with sort of a, a, our long history of racial injustice, which, of course, you know, that's what one in the Innocence Project, we couldn't do what we did. I mean, it's so essential to what we do. Um, would you like to talk to a little, a little bit about maybe, you know, kind of the work in the Innocence Project and how that relates to, to the Black Lives Matter movement? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, I direct the Ohio Innocence Project and there's Innocence Projects all over the country and now all over the world. And what we've realized the past 25, 30 years or so since DNA testing capabilities came along is that our system, although it previously thought that it was error-proof, um, makes a lot of mistakes and sends a lot of innocent people to prison. And so far, there's been over 2,600 people exonerated in the past 25 years to the innocence movement. And here in Ohio, we've freed 30 people. Um, and so these are people who write to us who are screaming, look, I, I've been in prison for 20 years on, or 30 years. We've even had 46 years, our longest. I've been in prison 46 years on this murder charge, and I'm innocent. I didn't do it. We reinvestigate the cases, and if we demonstrate their innocence, then we litigate to get them free. Um, and we've realized that um, you know, the, the ones we freed are just the tip of the iceberg. So this is, along with many other problems in the criminal justice system that have come to light, like racism and, um, and mass incarceration, the innocence movement um, has a whole slate of reforms that, that need to be done to make our system more accurate. Um, but as you can imagine, we see that um, people of color, particularly black people, are disproportionately affected um, by wrongful convictions. And um, I don't know the exact stats, but it's overwhelming. I mean, in, in my case, it's probably 60, 70 percent of the. Well, how many of those we freed, Mark, in here in Ohio, for example? I mean, a vast majority African-American, correct? 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I, w- I would say probably 70%. Yeah. Um, it's very high. And that's true nationally. Um, and, and, you know, we're seeing, you know, you see all this, these people sort of being woke now to the problems in the system. And, um, and you know, it, it's, it's because we've got cell phones, right? Uh, right. Just as before, um, people didn't want to believe it. But, you know, I always use the phrase that we were afraid of Big Brother that we would be monitored um, in the future. But in reality, it's like Small Brother. Uh, we've got cell phones now, so we can monitor them. And so in many ways, that has been a godsend to exposing some of these problems. And, you know, I think it's, it's not just George Floyd and, and some of the cases that are recent that we've been able to get footage of because of cell phones. I think deep down, you know, even white people at some level knew this was a problem. And um, but, you know, it took this sort of ability to capture it and record it to to really get people motivated and understanding it at a whole new level. Um, but, you know, you can see it through wrongful convictions. You can see it through mass incarceration. You can see it through sentencing statistics. You can see it in a million different ways that there's systemic racism in the criminal justice system. It's a huge problem. Do you have something to ask, John, or can I jump no, in? No, I want you to go. You guys go a little bit more, and then I'll jump in. Okay. Um, you know, here's what I think is incredibly important, Mark, and where I feel like, you know, being a part of the Innocence Project the Ohio Innocence Project, I should be clear, had kind of had me attuned to some of these things in a way I never would have been before, even as a guy who works in politics and, you know, on social justice issues. Um, you know, when 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 we really a week ago, I mean, this happened during Ferguson about four or five years ago, too. Where we had a moment, but nothing like this one. And I feel like, you know, again, we've seen in the cases we've handled um, that there is systemic, let's call it, misbehavior, I'm not sure what term we want to use, by prosecutors as well as police and how they've gotten, uh, you know, how they get confessions and how evidence may be suppressed. Um, And that I see as sort of a a line that, you know, that sort of line of continuity with what's going on out in the streets to what's going on once folks are arrested, Um, you know, even if they aren't, you know, harmed, murdered, what it it might be, you know, if they're just brought into an office, what happens? What have you sort of, what would you, what are your thoughts on that in terms of how much, how systemic you think it is in terms of what prosecutors have done in terms of what police have done, um, you know, to get confessions and that kind of thing? Well, I mean, I think um, our client who we exonerated, the Reese Glover, spent 20 years in prison for a murder he didn't commit. He and his two best Hmm. friends, um, Derek Wheat and Eugene Johnson were wrongfully convicted of a murder they had nothing to do with. I think he says it best. Um, in his case, there was evidence that came to light after they were arrested that showed they were innocent and pointed to other people. And the police had already sort of made their arrest and hmm. had announced it. And they just sort of swept that new evidence under the rug and it didn't come to light for 20 years later. Um, and he said, you know what? They just looked at us and said, this is a bunch of, of, of black kids from the ghetto. Nobody's going to care about them. Um, you know, if it were the, if it were the white Duke lacrosse kids, maybe they'd be looking at it differently. But you know, we're just a bunch of uh, of black kids from the ghetto. We're poor. Nobody's going to care about us, and uh, we can do whatever we want. Um, and so I think his view on on how the police handled his case is probably accurate. Um, yep. Would they have done the same thing if it was if it was a bunch of white college kids like the the Duke lacrosse guys? Um, and so I think you know. His his frustration that his life was not valued, his freedom was not valued, and they didn't have to do a careful job 
um, because of who they were, I think is how many of them feel and rightfully so. You yeah. know, Mark, it, it, it's funny. I mean, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about sort of police issues. I do know, as I was telling Mark before the podcast, Cliff is certainly an expert on these things. I'm not. But one thing I do know a lot about, because I actually sort of run a campaign against the police 20 years ago here in D.C., um, that exposed all sorts of problems. But what I've I guess there's a couple of things. There seems to be a lot of discretion involved in policing, but also in prosecuting. I found um, in D.C., for example, God, we had a, a serial burglar that was uh, just that, like breaking into people's apartments and you know scaring the hell out of people. And I remember the, the police were sort of trying. I think they got a guy. The prosecutors weren't really interested for a variety of reasons, including the fact that I think we were back to being the murder capital back then in D.C. So they were kind of like, eh, home burglary, big deal. And so that, it, A, I was finding a lot of discretion among prosecutors that as a citizen, you felt like, Jesus Christ, we've got crime that you're not prosecuting. Also, the discretion amongst police to either, as you said, to sort of trump up the evidence a little bit or to ignore it. You know, one big problem we had in D.C. 20 years ago, but I experienced it the other day, was police just not wanting to file police reports. And it's not for any goodwill reason out there, folks. It's not, oh, you know, like like the guy in the drive-thru being drunk. It's not like they were like, hey, give the guy a break. It was literally like they didn't want their arrest numbers to go up because then every month they sit and they go through the crime stats around the table. And, you know, whoever has the least crime stats is the hero. Oh, you had a good district this, this week. So they don't like to file reports. So they dumb down reports. You know, a, a, a burglary of a thousand bucks, they try to make it 200 bucks because that's only petty larceny or it's a misdemeanor. And I just, I feel like on so much of this, or in the case what you guys are talking about, I mean, I myself witnessed a case I worked on where the, um, the detective deleted his uh, text messages back and forth with one of the key witnesses. Six months of text messages. He just got yep. rid of them. He just got rid of them. <laughs> we see that. I'll let Mark talk for the most part, but I'll say we see that kind of stuff so much. It's, yeah. it's mind-boggling. Well, and, and, and the thing is, for me, as somebody working on a case like that, uh, Mark, I am a lawyer. I just don't practice. Uh, so I've not had the uh, – you know, the day-to-day experience you and Cliff have had with this. But to me, as sort of a lawyer slash activist looking at that, I'm sitting here going, we need to blow this wide open. I mean, the cops are deleting evidence. And by the way, the cop had a history of of falsifying evidence. He's still there. The detective is still there. This has not blown up in his face. And here's another problem. Because of the way the case runs, you know, the defense attorney doesn't necessarily want to blow it up because he's worried about how it affects his client. And blah, blah, blah. I just I, I was shocked as to actually the final point. I'm throwing all of this in one thing. The final <laughs> a thing, long the, question, John. Well, no, I mean, the, I'm just, I just making an observation Well, because you and Mark, I think, are going to do most of the talking on this because I, I, I admit, Cliff, you're the expert on this. But well, and let me say quickly, you keep yeah, being, it, and I appreciate yeah. it. Nice of you to say that. Yeah. But- Mark's the expert. I'm a guy who knows more no, than no, that's okay. the average person, but I don't want to. Mark's the one who's been in court. Mark started this. I'm on the board and I do what I can, but Mark's like a okay. thousand times. So good for you. I, I guess Mark, be clear. That's okay. Actually, Mark, let me. Th- I, I do have a question embedded in this. So, one case I was working on, I sat in court. I knew the case inside out and I watched a public defender defend this guy and I was ready to wring her neck. Everything the prosecution was saying, I kept in my I kept going, no, that's not what happened. Look at the transcript. He lied. He just lied again. And the guy got convicted of several years in jail. Now, he might have been guilty. I'm not saying the guy was, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. But there were so many flaws in the defense because the public defender just couldn't know the case as well as I did because she probably picked it up a couple days ago. And that really freaked me out. 
versus any other experience I had in law enforcement was watching a guy go to jail because his lawyer just wasn't up to snuff freaked me even though i think the guy might have been guilty yeah. that freaked well, the a, hell there's out there's a of lot me. packed into what you just said let me try yeah. to unpack <laughs> sorry it just you got you guys i was sitting quietly and then you got me thinking of a ton it's of stuff good. yeah <laughs> well first of all um you the first thing you talked about was prosecutorial and police discretion yes and one of the things that we should realize but we tend to turn a blind eye to it when it comes to policing is that you know if you give somebody a lot of power and no oversight Right. That's a toxic mix. It's human nature. People right. abuse their power. power. Yeah. Um, right. And one right. of the big problems is that about 30 years ago, 40 years ago, the, the Supreme Court created what's called qualified immunity, which makes it very difficult to sue police, police departments, and prosecutors. It's almost right. impossible. So there's no accountability on the back end. Now, there's a movement from the right and the left to, to end that um, uh, doctrine. Um, so there'll be some accountability. And there was some hope that the U.S. Supreme Court would take a case before this term ended. Um, and there was a lot of buzz out there that maybe they would. They finally in qualified immunity, but they actually turned down those cases this week. Hmm. So we've got to wait another year to see if they're going to do it. But qualified immunity just creates this. Um, you know, it's just like it's like consumers. You know, the, the reason why we have products that are safe now and John Deere makes safe lawnmowers is because we had tort lawsuits that held them accountable, and so they have to think about those things and make the products as safe as they can possibly be, so they can defend lawsuits. Police and prosecutors can't be sued. And so there's no accountability on the back end. It's human nature that if you have immense power, which people with a badge and a gun do, and right. there's no accountability, you're going to have problems. Um, and so secondly, we combined with that, we've been in this tough on crime mentality for the past 30, 40 years where no politician can question law enforcement or they look soft on crime. Um, and so everybody's just like, you know, give them more authority, give them more authority. All of these things together create this toxic mix. We need better training. We need uh, to understand the problems with human nature, we need to give people power with no oversight. So we need to change the culture in police departments, and you can do that through training. Um, but the way it is now and the way it has been, they think they can get away with anything in many cases, and we've seen that they do. And, and this is what we're seeing now, these wrongful convictions where they're hiding evidence, they're deleting text messages, right. they're using excessive force. All these things are because of the culture we've created, because of qualified how, immunity. How do you avoid that? Because, for example, it's like proving a negative. How do I know that the police are hiding evidence that's exculpatory, that, that, that suggests that I'm innocent? Well, you can never be 100% sure, but you set up systems. So, for example, after the Holocaust in Germany, um, you know, the Third Reich used the criminal justice system to just convict people and conv convict political enemies, and right. they hit all kinds of evidence. So Germany came out and said, we're going to have a completely open criminal justice system, and the files are open, and we're going to train officers and be part of the culture that everything has to be documented, and all police reports documented, and they're public. Um, and, you know, you can come up with rules and oversight. That doesn't mean some, you don't have some bad eggs that, attempt, that occasionally cheat anyway. Um, but we're not doing anything really to to train people on the importance of all of this and set up mm -hmm. things that will you know provide some oversight to their discretion. Right. Um, and and we know it because you know there there are some police departments, there are some prosecutors' offices that aren't like this, right. and they the leader has a different culture and establishes a different culture and 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 trains the people under them differently, and it for the most part works. So right. you're never going to it's at 100 percent. But yeah, I mean, you can yeah. you can make this a priority and we can we can do it by starting to to vote for prosecutors who want to do the right thing. because It starts at the top. Vote for sheriffs yeah. who want to do the right thing and change the culture. It's about um, percentages, right? I mean, you get better people. You know, you're not going to yeah. fix everything. 
but it, you know, we're dealing in percentages is what we're dealing in, which is like anything like this. Hey, Mark, let me, um, I want you to get back to this. I have to do, we have to do a quick ad. So okay. I'm going to read this quick ad and then we'll get back and would love you to continue when it, you know, with, I know I think you were going to say some things about public defenders too, and some of yeah. that. So yeah, exactly. All right, folks. So zoom meetings with coworkers and clients are great. As you know, uh, do you notice the bags under your eyes and the deep wrinkles? Let me tell you, the cameras catch everything. Now, look, we're not all as handsome as, as John Aragosis and Mark Godsey. Some of us have wrinkles, uh, and, and we need to take care of that. Well, now imagine those wrinkles are gone. No risky, expensive surgery, gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm. It's a clinically studied serum that visually, visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags, and all the comfort of your home. Plexiderm is a solution to Zoom meeting eyes. I know. Well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I will know, hopefully, because I am planning on trying it. Um, and 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 if we try it, I'm being told we'll look 10 years younger. Damn it, I'm going to believe that. I need to look 10 years younger. Um, hopefully, we'll be blown away by those results. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to be great on Zoom meetings or FaceTiming with friends. They'll be surprised when they see you this summer. The best part, Plexiderm goes on clear and lasts for hours, and nobody will know you're losing it unless you tell them. So, folks, go to tryplexiderm.com and use the code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. Can't beat that. That's half off plus an additional $10 off. You could also call 800-685-1292. That's 800-685-1292 and mention the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com and use the code VOICES. That's VOICES at triplexiderm.com. And you will be as handsome as John Arabosis and Mark Godsey. Okay. Back to the podcast. Mark, we were talking about uh, – well, go ahead, John. You wanted to – Yeah, no, just to say maybe I don't uh, – If I don't know whether you were done with the previous point, but one of the things I wanted to ask about was just that too, was the whole issue of public defenders and how – you know, once upon a time, I thought that was a really great thing that everybody got a lawyer, even if they couldn't afford one, until I got to witness, like I said, one of those lawyers who clearly had a ton of cases and she just didn't, didn't know this. You know, all she just didn't know the case. And so I knew that I would have been able to do it better than I mean, I literally wanted to go and sit next door and go, OK, let me just talk in your ear. This is driving me crazy. And I think as somebody on the outside, you think, well, it's a court case. All the information will come out, hopefully, and you know the judge will objectively decide. And this judge decided based on getting one side of the evidence because the lawyer sucked. Yeah, so you know, I hate to, to uh, bang on on public defenders because it's you know underpaid people who are are, yes. are doing a thankless job. Let's be clear, uh, a lot of them so, are doing their best, and they're yeah. Okay. yeah I think yeah. she was but doing I'm, her best, but I think she had ten cases best. that day. You know? Right. What you're speaking to is uh, a reality that they'll admit to. Um, so, for example, in New Orleans, one of the stats showed that the average public defender could spend about seven minutes on a case um, because, Ooh. you know, we had this great Supreme Court decision. Wait, what do you Gideon. mean seven minutes? Are you saying they literally get handed the case? They got seven minutes to learn it before they go to the judge? That they ended up in surveys spending about seven minutes on this was misdemeanors, but on misdemeanor cases, Jeez. which can, you know, if you get convicted of a misdemeanor, it can still have major impacts on your life. Yeah, so the average public defender was sending seven minutes on a case. Jesus. So this is so we we had this the, the great Supreme Court case, Gideon that says everybody has a right to an attorney, and if you can't afford one, the state will pay one for you. But we've never right. funded it, um, and so we have public defenders' offices all the, across the country who are protesting and saying we can't do our job. We're rendering ineffective assistance to counsel because we have too many cases. We don't have enough funding. You know, when I was a prosecutor, I could spend money on whatever I wanted. You know, the prosecution, particularly in the era of tough on crime, gets whatever we want. Um, right. It is not an even playing field. We have 
we have the state um, forensic scientists. We have all, all the experts we want. We can send investigators out to hit the pavement. We have the police department at our disposal. You know, defense attorneys, despite the fact that they, I mean, or in addition to the fact that they have so many cases, they can't do an adequate job on them. Right. They don't have funds to, to pay for these experts, except for in certain cases. They don't have funds to, they don't have a police department they can send out to interview witnesses. It's, a, it's an extreme right. disadvantage. The adversarial system only works if it's an even playing field. And the idea is that both sides are pushing and the truth will be somewhere in the middle. But if you've got it slanted so that one side has all the bells and whistles and has all the time, and the other side is doing what you saw in D.C. where the person doesn't even know the case, right. the criminal justice system isn't going to work. Right. Um, so that's another huge problem. Right. Yeah, I mean, oh, you get it. okay, but yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> it just really freaked me out. I mean, it just watch it, it, watch it in front of my eyes. Yeah, the, the public defender in Missouri, the state public defender, was so disgusted with this, um, and you know, they had this limited funds to appoint just random turn, uh, attorneys from the community, and they would assign you. You might be a divorce lawyer, but you had to pick right. up and do some case with no experience on it, and it, it was, wasn't working. So the public defender actually appointed the governor, who was a lawyer, just to be a smart ass, right. and like appointed <laughs> the governor to some, like a rape or murder case, just to make the point of, you don't have time to do this, right. neither do we, you know, but I'm, if, yeah. you're, if you're gonna continue with a system that doesn't work, I'm gonna point you to some cases while That's you go. That's awesome. I mean, right. it's not awesome that they had to do that, but that was... Uh, um, yeah, it was right. symbolic. I mean, the governor didn't take the cases, but right. yeah. it, was just, it was just like, you know, I'm gonna try to make this point that this is ridiculous. So, I mean, I'd like to talk at some point about sort of the, the systemic reforms that are necessary. This clearly would be one of them. But before we get there, you know, there's so many other problems in the system I would like to talk more about. By the way, everybody, you should get Mark wrote a terrific book. I loved it. You'll love it. It's called Blind Injustice. Um, all about it will teach you all about not only did you know, Mark sort of come to Jesus, if you want to call it that, of a prosecutor who went to the other side. Uh, and became a leading light in the innocence movement as head of the Ohio Innocence Project. But the various ways that people are convicted where, with junk science and biased testimony, that kind of thing. Do you want to tell you know folks some of the other things that you go through in your book, Mark? I think that's important because I don't think people – I didn't think of a lot of this, this kind of stuff until I read your book. Yeah, well, I mean there's, there's so many easy ways we could make evidence more accurate and we could increase the accuracy of the criminal justice system. But – Criminal justice system, like any big bureaucracy, is very slow to change. And even though these things are obvious, we're not doing anything about it. And I think, you know, there's a lot of different things. Each chapter talks about a different psychological flaw, like malleable memory and how that influences cases and how susceptible people are to having their memories change. And so when police are grilling witnesses about a case, many times they're moving their testimony to make it fit the police theory of the case. But by the time they testify at trial, it's something totally different than what they first said. Um, and, you know, I saw that even when I was a prosecutor. But I think one of the things that the people might be most interested in um, is the problems with forensic science. And the reason they might find that interesting is that it's the second leading cause of wrongful convictions, where some, you know, white lab coat CSI person gets on the stand and says, you know, here was the body found in the ground and there was a, 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 a shoe print in the mud next to the body. And I've looked at the defendant's shoes that he was wearing that day and it's 100 percent match. Um, and this is the sort of stuff we t see on TV and it's held up by these CSI shows is like, you know, the equivalent of putting man on the moon, some modern day miracle. Um, <laughs> and, and really it's, it's, we're convicting people on junk science. And I'm just going to, I'm going to talk about one experiment just to show, um, there's, there are two problems with, with the forensics in this country. One is that many of them were just created by police in the spur of the moment to get a conviction. They weren't, con you know, there's no scientific method. There's no peer review. And, and the, the actual forensic technique itself is badly flawed. But another problem is just 
human bias, confirmation bias. And humans are wired to see what we want to see or we believe that we're going to see. So there's a, a famous um, psychologist out of London named Mitchell Drawer who studies confirmation bias in the human mind. And he did this experiment where we went to leading fingerprint experts around the world. And he said, will you participate in a study with me? I've got fingerprints from a case that a guy was convicted 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and he was convicted because a fingerprint expert got on the stand and said that his fingerprint matches the fingerprint of the killer found on the bloody knife. Um, but we now realize through DNA testing that the guy was innocent and the fingerprint expert made a mistake. Can you look at the two fingerprints, the one for the bloody knife and the one for the defendant, and tell us where this fingerprint expert went wrong, where the discrepancies are between the two fingerprints? And what they didn't realize, these fingerprint experts, is that Itziel's Roar was tricking them. In reality, he had gone into the court files in their jurisdiction and found a case that they had testified there was a match. So these experts were actually looking at their own Jeez. work 20 years ago. And of course, they don't right. remember a pair of fingerprints they looked at 20 years ago. Right. And what do you think is the percentage of experts that change their opinion? hundred? I mean, I would, if I was, if I was convinced, I'd be looking for errors then. I'd be saying, okay. Yes. Yeah, well, it, was, it, was, it was 80%. Oh, lower than I think. Now came back and said, oh yeah, these fingerprints don't match. It's still huge. So four yeah. every five. Yeah. Yeah. There's a discrepancy here. There's a discrepancy there. Um, and then it's like, surprise, you convicted somebody by saying this was a match. And, and, and there's multiple experiments by, like this in a variety mm -hmm. of forensic areas. And, and it, when, when experts are told an answer before they start, it literally affects what you see, because that's all you're doing. And that's how the human mind works. It's wired to confirm your pre-existing beliefs. And so, you know, when I was a prosecutor, and this is still done today, I would call up the CSI people and I'd be like, dude, we know this gun's going to match. It came from, we know the bullet came from his gun. I can't get up and say that. I need you to testify to it. So give me the report. The trial starting Monday. No, there was no sort of neutrality or, or buffer um, that recognized the fallibility of humans and how confirmation bias can affect outcomes. And we still right. do it that way today. I mean, you know, I've got in my book, I've got examples of, of, of evidence sheets sent from prosecutors to uh, CSI experts, where they basically tell them the answer and say, we really need you to, to call this a match. Um, right. We're going to get bad results, hmm. bad, bad, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Hmm. Um, and it's very, very simple. There's very, very uh, clear ways that you can insulate uh, forensic scientists. They don't know what answer they're supposed to come to, but we don't do it. That's just one example. But there's many fascinating things like that that make our criminal justice system very inaccurate. Hmm. And it, it seems to me like that's a perfect connection to what we see out there you know, when we're talking about the Black Lives Matter and, and some of the, the other sort of criminal justice reform movements, because in these shootings, I mean, there now it seems to be changing. Atlanta would be an example and Minneapolis finally and whatever. But it seems I mean, maybe there's other reasons. It could be the systemic racism. It could be. But it also seems like, you know, the, the immediate confirmation bias of prosecutors because they work so closely with the cops is that if the police shot somebody, it must have been the right thing to do. Right. Oh, sure, and, yeah. And they go and from that assumption. Thought, thought that all the time. The public just thought that immediately um, before we had cell phone footage. And that, that's why, you know, everybody having cell phones and being able to pull out their phones and record things. I mean, there's still things like George Floyd going on that there's nobody around with a cell phone. So it's not like we're suddenly capturing all of it. We're, we're capturing a certain percentage of it. And so for the first time, we're actually having proof that a lot of this is bullshit. And, yeah, it is confirmation bias that made us just always believe the police beforehand. Right. And I think, you know, being on, uh, having been on the other side of it, have you ever, have you, John, have you ever been arrested? Any no. protests, anything like that? No. Were you, ever, were you ever arrested for any reason, Mark? You don't have to tell people if you don't want to. Sure. Yes, I was. 
Okay, cool. So was I. Um, and, you know, as a story I tell sometimes, I was arrested in Kentucky when I was working on a campaign back, back around 2002, 2003, met my wife there. Um, and, but I, one night a friend was driving me, you know, I, I, I was still a guy, a New York guy with a New York license. And one night a guy was, I was being driven back to the apartment that I was staying in while I was there. And I had had too much to drink, completely cop to that. But the person who was then offering me a ride said that, that um, she had not. And at that point, I, all I could do was trust her. Right. I, I mean, I, you, you couldn't get cabs as easily. This is pre Uber. Right. So I got in the car. I was in the passenger seat, mind you. And we were stopped at one point and they claim that the driver, uh, you know, is intoxicated and they're going to arrest her. Fine. I mean, they have a right to do that. But I was in the passenger seat and they used a law that on the books in Kentucky, it was called hmm. alcoholic intoxication to arrest me. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, but for me, you were publicly drunk or something or what's the yes, concept? You know? Exactly. That's the concept that I'm just oh. drunk. If I'd been walking home, I would have been more of a risk. Wouldn't I have, if I'd been driving, I would have more of a risk. Yeah. I was doing the safest thing I could think of to yeah. do at that time. And I can just tell you, and again, please, anybody mm-hmm. listening who's African-American, I'm not trying to compare this. This is one small thing that happened, but it made me realize, you know, here I was in the passenger seat. I got taken out of the car, handcuffed with my hands behind my back like a criminal, mm-hmm. thrown into the – so you lose all control, which is a pretty right. damn freaky thing. Thrown into the back seat of this police car, taken in, my mugshot taken, mm-hmm. thrown into the, to the drunk tank to just lie, be there overnight. And at that point, no policeman, any questions I had, they they literally treated me like I wasn't there. Hmm. I'd ask questions, they'd ignore me. Didn't matter. I had no idea when I was getting out, when I'd get a phone call. And I'm just trying to make a point. I finally, seven hours later, I did. I'm just trying to make a point that, hmm. that when you realize you're on the other end of that power disparity, yeah. that imbalance, that you literally have done nothing wrong. And somebody treats you in that manner, and you say to yourself, "My God, can you imagine how often that happens to somebody just because their skin is black?" Um, well, let, let, me, let me add to your story. Let me add to your yep. story. I had a very similar experience in college, um, and as we were being arrested, um, the uh, this is in Chicago. Um, the officer, and we were in the back of the paddy wagon. This was when they did a raid for kids who were underage in a bar. Um, no. And as we're in the back of the paddy wagon waiting for them to round up everybody else, the, the, the officer kept saying to us, last thing I want to be doing on a Saturday night is out here arresting a bunch of white college kids, like being real apologetic. Hmm. Yeah. Repeatedly, right. last thing I want to do is right. a, a bunch of white college kids. Yeah, exactly. And Mark is about my age. So they give you, you know, I think you're a year or two older than me, maybe. But I mean, you went to college in the 80s, 90s. So, I mean, we're not talking like the 1960s here, folks. No, this was um, in the mid 80s. Yeah. So, I mean, again, you know, uh, and, and, you know, so you've got that. The funny last piece of my thing, you know, that I'll add in is, is, and again, I had power in a way that, that it, it, the next day I had power. Once I was released after their eight hours, whatever, in a way most people don't. It's certainly most, I'm sure, largely African-Americans, some people who, who don't have the resources or the connections. I was working on a campaign and the lawyer advising our campaign happened to be uh, the, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police there. So we went back and told them and said, this is ridiculous. You know, I wasn't doing anything wrong. He called up the officer to find out what happened. And it turns out they threw the thing out. I was never fined what I was supposed to be. It was wiped from my record. And here's what I found out. The reason he arrested me was because I had a New York driver's license. So his view of it was, you know, I don't believe this guy. He says he's living down the road there. We easily could drive him. I was literally a couple couple blocks away. We could either just let him out of the car and let him walk home. No. 
we could drive him home and see if he's got keys to get in and see if his possessions are there. No. To them, the easiest thing to do, maybe they're trying to meet a quota. Maybe they just didn't give a damn. Maybe they hated everybody from New York. I don't know. But the easiest thing to do is just, here's a New York license, we're arresting it, which this officer admitted. And so it was thrown out. And if you can imagine, if they're that biased and would do that against me just because I was from New York again, this is a southern state. I'm not, I mean, again, I'm, you know, not that this doesn't happen in northern cities too. Imagine with just basic racism, how often this happens. And I can't imagine because it hasn't happened to me other times, but I guess it gave me at least one taste of how bad this could get for somebody who has no power, you know, completely innocent in a situation and how that could be abused. In any case, I thought it was a story worth sharing. Um, so maybe it's worth then saying if, if you know, we're in the heart of, of a Black Lives Matter movement right now, Mark, what, you know, it, it, that's part of this. There's obviously other parts of this, as we've talked about. It's not just African-Americans, minority groups, women who can be sexually abused by police officers and others. It's We're talking about, um, you know, a justice system where that that is biased against those who don't have resources, funds, whether white or black. What are the reforms that we could try to institute to take this moment and really make lasting change? If you had to list like the three most important things we could do, how about that? Well, um, if you have more, you could do that too. I don't want to limit you. Number one, we need to get rid of the doctrine of qualified immunity so that um, we can sue police officers and prosecutors when they engage in misconduct. Mark, let me ask you something about that, because when you were mentioned, I know about qualified immunity, but then I was thinking back to we had a case in D.C. maybe 10 years ago. Was it the um, all those WTO protests? I don't remember, but I remember um, they had corralled a bunch of people like in Lafayette Park or in some city park. And the police just cordoned them off and started charging at them. Sounds familiar. And they basically arrested anybody within that park. They got nurses leaving the hospital. They got all sorts of innocent people. Massive lawsuit. The police had to settle. How do how does a lawsuit like that even happen if the police have qualified immunity? Is there well, a process so, or something, or what's the? So there's, so there's a there's difference. So there's different types of immunity. Prosecutors almost have complete immunity. It's virtually impossible to sue prosecutors. Okay. Um, the police, the immunity is not quite as strong. So it's, it's very difficult. Like in many cases, you have to show not just that something bad happened to you and they did something bad to you, but that it's a pattern in practice. It's okay. been proved that it's been going on a long time. So it's not that it's impossible. It's that it's, hmm. it's very difficult. So you will see some hmm. instances where police departments have to settle, um, but it's not enough to incentivize them. The, the protections they have are enough to make them not really have to care that much. Because um, it's 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 not very often that they get held liable. Can the um, city or the police choose to let themselves be sued? Uh, yeah, but they don't very often. So, okay. like in Ohio, the state of Ohio has passed a statute to let it be sued for wrongful convictions, and many states have done this, but they don't have to do that. And so, when they do it, they often cap it at some low amount. We'll allow ourselves okay. to be sued, but the most you can get is fifty thousand per year that you're wrongfully convicted, or in some states, okay. it's the entire thing is capped at like a hundred thousand, even if you spent forty wow. years in prison. Wow! So you know, they—it's not like they can. Their only choice is we—we we can't be sued, or we will be sued. Right. A lot of times they'll say we will be sued, but we're only going to allow it up to a certain very minimal cap. Um, What's the solution to that? What kind of what would you do to fix it? Now, okay. Again, as a lawyer, I can imagine the idea of qualified immunity is probably the same thing like speech and debate clause that allows members of Congress to say anything on the Senate floor or a House floor. They can't be sued. It allows lawyers, like you said, if I'm defending a case, I guess uh, I've got 
major immunity for what goes on in the courtroom, right? So that I can't be sued yeah, by the other guy for, for representing my client. I mean, in general, the idea is I shouldn't be able to be sued just because I represented my client and my client sued you, assuming I did my job. I mean, we're, we're trying to protect people right. well, no, I mean, so that they can do their job. What What's the actual... Defense lawyers can be sued by their clients. They no, no, yes. I meant by the opponent. by the opponent to, to file a lawsuit. Uh, the yeah, statute no. of limitations starts running very early, and in most of those cases, the statute of limitations is gone. By the time they win their case yeah. and the court says, yeah, your counsel was ineffective um, and, and, and violated your rights, the statute of limitations – I meant the opposing guy. I meant um, – I'm suing the prosecutor. Oh, right. He's suing and the prosecutor or even for a tort case. Uh, you, you sue my lawyer because my lawyer represented me, and I went after you maliciously, so you decide to sue my lawyer too just because. Yeah, I mean that's something totally you different. Know. I mean – what, what we need is yeah. What do we need to fix this? I guess is what I'm saying. Police, because we would see exactly what happened when we did just end it totally. Case. Yeah, I think so. Or severely limit it, um, because all of a sudden you would have the incentive for cities and counties and states to put all this training in place, because right. they're going to be sued and they're going to be held liable, and so we're going to see a complete shift in culture because now they have an incentive. Holy crap! You know. <laughs> We're going to get voted out of office if we have all these huge lawsuits. Right. We got to protect taxpayers. The taxpayers will start demanding get your, get get things in order, start doing proper training. There'll be this huge incentive um, to completely redo things top to bottom. Exactly what we saw back when you know before we had product right. liability law, people were getting their hands cut off by lawnmowers and all sorts of other things. And all of a sudden, these mass torts started happening, and then companies all of a sudden had this huge incentive right. to go above and beyond and put warnings on things and make sure everything's really careful. That had a very positive effect. Even though people sometimes make fun of it and they say, you know, some of these warnings are stupid, products are, are safe now right. <laughs> because of that. And, and we, you know, it's interesting. I'll just say quickly, Mark, um, that, you know, what I've talked about this show before, the work I've done, the exception to that, of course, being the gun industry, who got that, right. got that immunity right. passed by Congress. And that's the reason why, like, you know, literally almost none of these guys can ever be held accountable, which is why there's been no incentive to do anything there. Same right. kind of idea. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, police and prosecutors can be dangerous. Um, they have a lot of power. They can harm people, just like a, a defective lawnmower. But you can't do anything about it. So there's no market correction um, to, to to force them and give them the incentive to have all the proper training. Should prosecutors be included here? If they could be held liable. Sure. Should prosecutors be held liable as well? Should we get rid of immunity for them too? Is are you including that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, when you see some of this stuff. John, I've seen just in the small short yeah. time I've been with the Innocence Project what prosecutors have been willing to do, um, yeah. denying people their constitutional rights in all sorts of ways. There's nothing you can do about it. It is, hmm. it, it's about as angering everything. Is everything you've seen with some of these police do? It's it's just, I mean, it's it's enraging, yeah. frankly. And they know and they can get away with it. John, you mentioned that the officer who hmm. deleted six months worth of text message nothing happened to him. We've got prosecutors and police officers who've been found by a court to have engaged in misconduct in our cases that caused a wrongful conviction and nothing happens to them either. And yeah, they go that, on and retire that's, and have their pension. But that's insane. I mean, I they suppress just, evidence, just, they delete erase and delete stuff. I mean, like, well, really that's, I mean, I mean, I would say as somebody, again, a sort of layperson on the outside, that drives me nuts because that's outright corruption. It's one thing to say, you know, we didn't have the standards that we didn't have the DNA test. We uh, um, experts aren't always right, like the like the fingerprint thing. It's a whole other thing to say, no, 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 no. The cops actually got together, decided to get rid of evidence, create evidence, do whatever they could to corruptly get a conviction. That just and I mean, this happens yeah. so much more than you would ever again. And Mark, 
would, could probably tell you a thousand times more than me because yeah. he's not only been involved in, in Ohio, but has done international innocence project work. And, you know, it, but I will tell you just from what I've seen here in Ohio, how much this happens would shock you. Cliff, do you want to maybe go to the ad? Cause we've got, we've got, we've got to throw in our ad again really quick. And then Mark, I guess what I'm, what I'd like to ask you after the ad is, uh, okay, we get rid of qualified immunity for cops and prosecutors. What else can we do to make the system function more fairly? So Cliff, right. why don't you go first and then. So we're back to, we're, we've got Plexiderm again. We do, so twice. I, I'm going to remind you guys again that Zoom meetings with coworkers and clients <laughs> may be great. Not as good when you notice that your eyes have, have deep wrinkles underneath. You got the bags under your eyes. You got the crow's feet. Well, now imagine all that's gone. No risky, expensive surgery can be gone in minutes with Plexiderm. A clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags all in the comfort of your home. Plexiderm is a solution to Zoom meeting eyes. Um, uh, no, let's skip that little part. Plexiderm can, can give you the confidence you need to be great on Zoom meetings uh, and FaceTiming with friends. They'll be surprised when they see you this summer. That and a nice tan will work for you folks. Best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, lasts for hours. Nobody will know you're using it unless you tell them. Go to triplexiderm.com and use the code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle of Plexiderm plus an additional $10 off. That's half off plus $10. You can call also, if you're not the internet type, you can call 1-800-685-1292. That's 1-800-685-1292. Also, there, mention the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, visit plexiderm.com and use the code VOICES. That's VOICES at tri. I said plexiderm.com for it. It's triplexiderm.com. And it's P-L-E-X-I or X-A? It's, it's, yeah, it's P-L-E-X-A-D-E-R-M.com. Okay. All right. Let's get back to what we were you saying. Know, I just Mark, have to say, though, we've done, before... we've done that ad so much now that I'm actually kind of wish they said it's a free sample. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, there's a part in the middle there where they say, I've tried it and it works great, and I haven't tried it yet. And so so I need to do that. I will get it, exactly. folks, and then I can Dear see that plexiderm, part Plexiderm, we're listening. Okay. Yeah. So, Mark, I guess what what I was getting into was what else? What else do we need to do that would be reform that would, and again, as also a citizen who cares about crime, that would not undermine, uh, not law enforcement, it would not undermine public safety, but would ensure that the public was safe from you know, not being- Actually make us safer by getting the right people and not the wrong ones. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I talk about, we could go on about this forever. Um, as far as wrongful convictions, the reforms are very clear. They're all at the end of my book. They're also at the, hmm. on the Innocence Project's website. Cultural changes, changing the culture. What are the hmm. things that incentivizes police and prosecutors to act the way they've been acting, and how can we change their incentives? Hmm. Um, and so one I've already mentioned is qualified immunity. If, if there's some accountability at the back end, it's going to incentivize them to do things right at the beginning. I mean, another one I think a lot of people don't hmm. think about is um, we shouldn't be electing these people. Um, because it creates this environment of everybody having to flex their muscles and act tough on crime, and then they think they've got to act like hard asses every single moment because um, they're worried about what the next 30-second ad of their opponent's going to look like. Right. If, they, if they're soft and let somebody go, maybe letting somebody go might be the right thing in this context, but they're always thinking, how's it going to be spun? How's my opponent going to make it look in the next election when I run for DA, when I run for sheriff? Yeah. Um, and it creates this perverse – I mean, and people in other countries, in Western countries – Look at our ads of people running for judge, people running for prosecutor, people running for sheriff, and they just think this is bizarre. This is nuts. I mean, John Oliver did this great segment on it. Um, yep. it, it, it it's another thing that creates this culture of of just tough on crime, being hard asses at all points and at all times, and just you know toxic masculinity is how I describe it. 
Um, so there's just that's just another example. Things that will actually change the incentives and the culture um, are going to, you know, there's specific things you can do, but if, unless you change the culture, you're not going to get long-term change. Yeah, and you you brought up I'll, this would be more specifically for the police. I'm interested in if you have thoughts on this. Um, you brought up Germany, which is a fascinating comparison. And, and there was somebody who had, who the other day uh, a reporter had tweeted out some information that I saw comparing the German and American police forces um, and the number of times there was use of force and the number of times someone was killed and they adjusted for population. And it was incredible. Um, you know, and, and the, the, but they made the point too that police officers in uh, Germany have two years of training, and here it's twenty-one weeks. Um, yeah, well, I think mean, that might I be another area. Stuff all over the world, and in China, of all places, you sit and have a conversation with a police officer. They all have college degrees and master's degrees. Hmm. They can talk about the scholarship of some article that was published in the Harvard Law Review last month. Um, these these are yes, like wow. educated, thoughtful. Why is people. it salary? I mean, how do you? Why are they so much more educated and all of that? Is it the higher salary? I, I don't know. It's, it's often the case in many places. I mean, the, you know, our federal agents like FBI and things like that are generally like that in this country. But you know, the the, the type of people that we give a gun and stick on the street um, in the average American city, as, as Cliff said, has very minimal training, um, and and they're not recognizing the the cultural training they need. Um, and, and, and the training in humility and understanding that you've got great responsibility um, and, and giving people a gun and a badge with very little oversight is a dangerous combination for some personalities. Yeah, I mean, let me throw out another stat I, that I, I read, which is they, did, they looked at NYPD police officers when they fired their guns and they hit what they were shooting at three out of ten times. That doesn't make me feel good, to be honest with you. I'd like you to be shooting your gun a lot less if you're only, I mean, three batting 300, great for a baseball player. Not so good when you're shooting a deadly weapon. Um, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean yeah, they need to be trained in implicit bias. They need to be trained in, in understanding different communities. They, there needs to be an infusion of understanding. Uh, but we make no effort um, or very little effort at this point. The, 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 there's been, the training has just failed us. There's too little. We have too much power. There's no accountability. There's not sufficient training. Um, there's not sufficient oversight. I think this is finally a time when maybe we're going to start realizing that things have sort of spiraled out of control with the war on drugs and the tough on crime mentality that has it's fostered this, this environment for the past 30 years. Yeah. I mean, it also feels like me, you, you, when you're comparing us to other Western nations, Let's be honest here. We've had this whole anti-tax movement here, and a lot of other Western countries have higher tax rates because they care about these things. These they realize having you know police uh, uh, accountability and having police that are well trained is a hallmark, important hallmark of democracy. Same thing with having public defenders that can actually be well paid and do their jobs. It just feels to me like uh, we've sacrificed a lot of these kinds of things on the altar of we want our tax cuts to be sort of you know our taxes to be cut to the bone. Am I, do you think I'm off there? I don't know. You can, you know, but that's my. Well, except, except for the fact that that's true. Except the one thing that, that even the the tax cutter people want is law enforcement to be well funded. They've well funded them in terms of militarizing them. So that's a great point. The funding to better training. That's a great point. Demilitarize them and reinvent the police is kind of my exactly. thing. Um, yep. One, you know, I've got one more important thing I'd like to ask. You know, John, you may have other stuff or. or... Okay, go on. But I do have to wrap up, though, unfortunately. Okay, that's That's fine. This will be the last thing I'll ask, which is, you know, and I said it before, what are your feelings on on 
uh, Bill Barr trying to bring back the federal death penalty with a vengeance. Well, of course, anybody who does my work and realizes the fallibility in the system um, has to realize the death penalty <laughs> is very problematic. Um, of course, they don't support it. And, you know, conservatives who actually study the issue don't support it either because it's the it's a proverbial bridge to nowhere. It's just super expensive. Um, it doesn't end up helping anything. Um, and, you know, it's a failed government policy. So I know I know many conservatives who are well-educated who are completely against the death penalty. Conservatives and liberals might be against it for different reasons. So, you know, to me, it was astounding that in the last election, Hillary Clinton wouldn't completely denounce the death penalty. It's like, well, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she's sort no, of from that Clinton 1990 stuff on crime mentality that she hasn't been able to shake off. And uh, but but it, it's not really just a, a Republican Democrat thing anymore. There's a lot of Republicans who are against it. Bill Barr is just a dinosaur. I mean, I think he's a right. Dinosaur. Well, I, I wasn't trying to get a Republican versus Democrat. It was really just Bill Barr, <laughs> because but, you're right. Yeah. Jim Petro is one of our biggest supporters here, who's a conservative Republican. You know, was the Attorney General here has you know came out against it in a big way. I know that a bunch of Republicans have. So it, Mark, it's more I, a Barr question. I, I know you have to go, but let me. And I, I'm I'm going to do what you sort of promised we weren't going to do. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you if uh -oh. you know ask you if you know any figures on this. So it's okay if you don't have the exact data, but um, we've got cases of people having, I'm assuming, we've got cases of people having been put to death who we later found out were innocent, right? Do right. we? How Have we had a lot of that? Yeah, like the famous cases is um, Cameron Todd Willingham in Texas. The problem is, though, that like when an innocence project does an investigation um, and goes to court and tries to subpoena documents and have a hearing to try to prove someone innocent, once somebody's dead, there's no standing to do that. You can't oh, really? Court, right, because there's you're not representing anybody. Um, and so, oh, so you lose your standing involved. in court. Interesting. Yeah, yeah there, after after that happens, it's very difficult to go back and investigate a case. So in other words, you couldn't – you'd have to do a FOIA, but you couldn't – <laughs> right, right, but you'd have, to do a, you'd have to do a Freedom of Information Act or something, but you can't actually subpoena documents or get a lot of the evidence you need. Right, you can't do DNA wow. testing, for example. Wow. Oh, that's I mean, crazy. FOIA, you can yeah. turn over documents, but they don't turn over slides. No, that, that's what I'm saying. The that's FOIA wouldn't go far enough. It's the only option, though. Right, wow. Exactly. No, that, and I think, honestly, that's... Maybe that know, should be a reform, too, that you should be able to subpoena these documents so we can learn about... Well, we wouldn't if we didn't execute people. That's, that, that's what we're focused Well, no, it well, is, but I... Of course, I, the first yeah. I just mean is a way of, of eliminating execution completely. If we could get the, 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 these documents, I bet we could put together some, some well, statistical... I, you know, and, I mean, let me just say, well, I mean, somebody you who... don't even need to go there because, huh. I mean, you know, you look at like in Florida, for example, I think something like a third hmm. of the people that got put on death row, I, I, the stats might not be hmm. exact, but it's something like that. It's astounding number. Something hmm. like a third of the people that got put on death row have been exonerated and proven innocent. So somebody will say, well, they got exonerated. They weren't executed. But the, the number of cases where you have evidence. Um, like DNA evidence is still survived and you oh. can test to prove someone innocent. There's a small percentage of the cases. So it, it, it's it's like statistically speaking, oh, so it was just these people that were lucky enough, um, just yeah. the innocent Well, ones let's bring it up here, Mark. I mean, here's the easiest, the easiest way to bring it up here is, you know, we did work where at the time we had broken a record, sadly it's not a record, for Ricky Jackson, who was convicted of a murder he didn't commit and put in prison at what the age of 17, 18. He was, he was there for 39 years. And he was on, 
he was on death row. And the only reason he's still alive uh, so that we were able to prove him innocent a few years ago is because when the Supreme Court found uh, how the death penalty had been given unconstitutional, and then I guess gave advice you know, for how it could be constitutional, everybody who was on death row at that time was taken off death row. So he wasn't. So Ricky was taken. So he would have been executed back in the seventies. He would have been executed in the late seventies for a murder he didn't commit, wait, and wait, probably wait, a hell of a lot of other people. Wait, I need to go back to this just because you two know it, but I don't want to blow it by. So you're saying a third of the people who were already convicted to death, and fortunately Florida, were able to appeal or something in Florida, but fortunately were able to appeal and they found out they were innocent. But but basically these guys were sentenced to die, and they got lucky enough that they weren't killed yet. By the time they found out they were innocent? Yeah, and, and I don't want to focus on the yes. stack because I'm giving this off the top of my head. Let's just say let's just say it's 10% because I know it's higher than Still, 10%. I mean, even – Even 10% is outrageous. But yeah, but that's outrageous. There's I mean, an egregious number of people that yeah. were exonerated off death row. And, well, this see, is, and this yeah. is true in several cases, in several states. Can I ask and you, do like, you well, – go on, go on. Sorry. <laughs> and it's like, oh, so it just happens to match up that the people that are lucky enough to still have DNA – testing in their cases are the ones that got right. exonerated the right. ones that didn't have dna those are all just guilty if you apply the same percentages across the people that didn't have dna or didn't have any other evidence in the case there's no reason to think that the same percentage of people aren't innocent that you executed you just can't reinvestigate their cases because the evidence has been destroyed right. or for whatever reason is this is i mean okay historically i have been relatively in favor of the death penalty but this for me is probably the best selling point i can imagine is talking about the innocent people that get put to death because i don't think anybody wow, innocent should favor john nobody. i didn't know um, i'm i'm I, i'm happy to say that i'm i'm in the middle what i mean by that is i know people on the left get pissed off when you know we admit contrary positions but i'm very divided on the issue but i'm not pissed i'm not pissed you. i'm just saying I, think I, do. To me, I mean in general there's so much evidence well, no, that but it's done this is, so terribly right yeah. but this is my point though is do you find that that's the best selling point to win people over who are not already on your side on the death penalty? Because to me, that's the best selling point. The idea that even one person would be put to death who was innocent, that's not acceptable if we're talking being put to death. Yeah, that and the fact that, you know, it, it, conservative, fiscal conservatives, if they actually study the issue, should realize that it's super expensive and there's no stats backing up that it actually curbs crime or does anything else. Right. I mean, I'm right. someone who, right. who, who sees both sides of many issues. Um, and even though I may take one side, I understand where the other side is coming from. My position on the death penalty is if you actually study it and are informed regardless of your political party, it's right. very hard. Very few people right. that actually are informed support it. And you were once in favor of it, right, Mark? Like when you were a prosecutor, you were in favor of it, weren't you? No, not really. Oh, um, well, then you're better I, than I, me. Had, I was in favor I of it for years. I was, By the I way, was I'm in... walking outside now because I've got to meet somebody. I've been <laughs> right, better, okay, we got to let Mark <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll let you go. Mark, you're too charismatic for your own good. That's the damn problem. <laughs> um, folks, there's a fundraiser we're doing right now for the Ohio Innocence Project. We're doing it specifically. We have to do it uh, um, uh, yeah, virtually because we weren't able to have a big breakfast right. that we normally have this year because of coronavirus. We're going to link at Patreon. We're going to link on John's blog, America blog. We're going to link everywhere. Please, if you want more work to be done, like the terrific work that Mark Godsey has done, who is a rock star and has changed the face of this movement, please give, please, I'll ask you to give to the Ohio innocence project. You won't be sorry. We will, we, you know, we'll change law, the, the law we will change the culture. We'll do all these things. We need the funding to be able to do it. Is there anything else you want to add to that more? Thank you. Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us, Mark. Thanks, You're Mark. Awesome. All right. Thanks. Thanks, John. Thanks, Cliff. Take care. You too. Cliff, I was going to ask 
you, as Mark signs off, um, uh, tell the website again for the, you had mentioned the website for the project or something else, but you said it so quickly that I didn't hear what it was. Yes. So what where does somebody do? find? Well, them? I said, you know, Ohio Innocence Project. I'm going to look up. They should have done before the show. Although people can Google that right there, Ohio Innocence Project. And there's innocence projects across the country, I'm assuming? There are. I want to make sure that I send people to our innocence. It's not that I don't like the other ones, but but I would argue, and it's not just because I'm here, that Ohio punches so far above its weight class. One of the big reasons is Mark you know, leaving, as I think I said before, we didn't get into it, about how he had mentored Preet Bharara. I mean, he was a big shot in the prosecutor's office in New York. You know, and and learned of 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 some of the the folly of what was being done. Came back here and does this. So we we you know we really have someone who's dedicated, and we we freed thirty people over a thousand years combined. They would have they, that that they had spent in prison. Um, right. So so um, I will I will we'll make sure to put the link up to the site. I want to make sure, and in fact. Let's keep talking, John. And while we're doing it, I'm going to make sure I get the exact link because I'm going to. No, get that's fine. Well, we've been going for a good while already. I'm trying to think, is there anything else worth getting into today that isn't sort of obvious? You know, there's all the Bolton book stuff. I mean, I think it's it's impactful, but, you know, what are we going to say about Bolton? He's an idiot. I mean, I mean, we all know well, the argument. It's there. both sides of it, right? You know. I mean, I'm glad his information uh, is out there. Um, but as Adam Schiff, a former guest of the Unprecedented Podcast, I point out, said, he's no hero. Uh, right. He's no patriot. He's somebody who was asked numerous times to come and testify during the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. He refused to. Members of his staff came forward who, who have a much lower profile, who will never make the money he'll make as a consultant and whatever the hell else he does with himself and that mustache of his. Um, they showed up and did the right thing. He refused to because he wanted to make millions on his book. Uh, and so, you know what? I'm glad we're learning the stuff in there, like the fact that Trump c- tried to collude with China and may be doing so to win re-election, but you know, don't, don't buy the man's book. He's, he's a terrible person who yeah. put himself ahead of democracy, yeah. like so many other Republicans. That's what I would have to say about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> Oh God, what? Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill just tweeted Yeah, but uh, last night. Yeah. Last yeah, night. Read it to people. Cause it's well, perfect. Okay, let me it. tell people first what happened. So, and we should be careful with this one because we don't I'm gonna be very, I'm going to let you do it and you yes. better be careful. So yes. Matt gets, the or Gates or however he pronounces it, the Florida uh, congressman, not the guy the, who, not the shooter in the New York subways, but not far off. I know I think Bernie gets when I say his I name, but the um, and not the guy from Media Matters who we interviewed. But Matt oh, gets is the Gertz. Florida yeah. Trump sycophant Republican who wore the gas mask on the floor of the House a couple months ago to make fun of the coronavirus. That guy, and then and then a constituent of his got sick. He's that guy. He got into a thing in a hearing yesterday, the day before, with an African-American congressman and somehow started talking about his children and his child's a person of color or something like that. And everybody was like, what? You're not a you're not you're, you don't have kids. What are you talking about? Well, so Getz comes out and lets everybody know that he has a secret young uh, Cuban guy that he's adopted or something he he's took re- him he's referring to as his son he well he's referring to as his son but he also refers to him in a couple other ways the the boy he has, to him as an intern somewhere didn't he am i right about what, that that's what i heard um the boy previously had referred to get as his father but also as his mentor um it's it's it sounds like he got the boy when the boy was 12. It's not clear that it was an adoption, um, an actual adoption. It's also 
bottom line is what people found really strange about it was that up until now, Getz has never mentioned this. And the idea that you secretly kind of sort of adopted somebody, but not really, and didn't bother telling anybody for eight years, or it's been about seven or eight years now. I think the, the boy might have been around 12. Now he's 19 or so. It just seemed odd to folks. And so Getz put out a tweet that basically paraphrased what I'm going to read Mark Hamill's now. People have been responding to Getz's tweet by basically quoting the same thing Getz said and putting up funny pictures. Mark Hamill push, uh, put up a video of him with Yoda in you know uh, the, probably the second Star Wars, maybe, I forget. The first or the second, where... I mean, that's the first, where he meets Yoda. Is that the first Star Wars? It's got to be. Yeah, because he's trained to be a Jedi. So Mark writes, for all those wondering, this is my son Yoda. We share no blood, but he is my life. He came from Dagobah, legally, <laughs> legally, of course, six years ago and lives with me in Malibu. I'm so proud of him and raising him has been the best, most rewarding thing I've done in my life. I, it's, it was hilarious because yeah. he, it, it, for people know, the tweet actually said from Matt Getz, it said, this is my son, Nestor. So he's basing it exactly on the language. Yeah. And yeah. It, the, I, the only other tweet that really was almost weird. as funny as that that was sent out huh. was somebody sent out. This is my son, Nestor. And it was a picture of Donald Trump with Lindsey Graham. That's oh. too- <laughs> that oh, was that's also funny. well done. But, but Mark, yeah. Mark Hamill is maybe the best. Right. Um, so, so actually, you folks can enter well, you the Nestor contest and try to uh, yep. put up a Mark, picture of you. Mark Harris, who's a writer and a columnist on Twitter. Yes. And on Twitter. He wrote a columnist, but he's on Twitter. He Axios, wrote something like, I believe, right? I don't know. Uh, at some off. point, he seems to be on his own now because he's saying – Okay, he's written, he's written for New York Mag. It looks like he's on his own. It's hard to know. But he wrote last night, and this actually does encapsulate because people were some people were getting upset because if Getz did in fact adopt this boy who lost his mother, blah, 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 that would be a really cool thing to do. And all the better that you're a Republican and decide to adopt a white Republican who adopted a Latino kid, you know, I mean, meaning Republicans not being racist is something good, right? So yep. what what Harris did to respond, he said, just to be clear about what's being mocked today. A single man adopting or fostering an older kid? Excellent. Keeping it secret for seven years? Weird. Calling him <laughs> your, your helper or local student? He said, creepy. Revealing his existence only when it's politically convenient? Contemptible. That's what's so weird about it. It just, exactly, like, it sounds like you were hiding this kid because, I mean... Glenn Greenwald got very offended as Glenn Greenwald does. Oh, as he would. Well, As hey, he would and everything. But in this one, he got very offended because he thought that people were being homophobic. Um, and I, I'll tell you, I didn't once, and maybe other people have been implying it, imply that there's some sort of sexual relationship. I don't even care, Though now frankly. that Glenn is what open, I, but I'm a what kind I of find afraid. weird is, hi, this is my son of seven years. You never knew he existed before. Yeah. Now I'm going to tell you about him. And I'm only going to tell you about him because people are saying, I don't like black people. So I'm going to tell you I have a Cuban son. It's I'm like kind of intrigued it, that Glenn would even go there because up until now, I've not heard anybody who was comfortable stating that Matt Getz comes across kind of gay. I'm not either. I saw some people I mean, are implying that there was something going on there. Well, but I'm, nobody, I'm in, well let me but just I'm finish in, yeah. Nobody who, like, you know, nobody prominent, nobody, you, you know, who is somebody who writes for a, a new a magazine or newspaper, nobody who's on TV, nobody who has a check mark, nobody, and I don't mean that it's disrespect to other people, but nobody who, like, is a public intellectual, you'd be like, how could you say that? You know, I mean, well, random, it, uh, random, yeah. like, you know, uh, people who are anonymous on Twitter are going to do all sorts of shit. It's how it works. So for Glenn to get that man, well, I was wondering who the hell he was responding to. 
I well, you know? I, my point is slightly different. Glenn is giving voice to something that I suspect some people have thought about a long time about Maybe what, what Matt gets his sexual orientation is. I've thought about it before, and I'm okay. intrigued that I've never mentioned my questions about what sexual orientation he has, but that Glenn mentioned it. Glenn kind of made it more of an issue, is my point, by saying, you're saying this because you think he's gay, because you think Getz is gay. Dude, no one has publicly said that until now, but now that Glenn wants to bring it up. Well, I mean, Glenn you know, literally, if there was a short slogan, I, mean, I can't come up with a shorter language, but Glenn's slogan would be something along the lines of making things issues that don't need to be. Well, I mean, this is what Glenn, Glenn does. We're, is three, he, degree, is we're three degrees Glenn, away from Putin here. That's I mean, what Glenn's upset. Glenn exposes a lot of things that clearly are going on in his mind by the way he reacts to things that are completely innocuous. So you're attacking, I mean, you're attacking one of Trump's major sycophants and right. Trump is close to Putin. So you're that's only true. two degrees, you're two degrees of Putin here. What a shocker. I know. And right? try, when, within a day of when yeah. Glenn was on there saying that everything Bolton is saying is probably a lie and defending Trump. Oh, there too. Did, yes. The Intercept had a huge article. Oh my God. The Intercept had a Glenn's little publication had a huge article yesterday, the day before about how liberals need to stop this. John Bolton is not a hero. You need to remember all the bad things he's done in his life. Right. I mean, they're just the, the hypocrisy. Glenn can go on Tucker Carlson's show as much as he wants, a literal white nationalist who, who spends every day dehumanizing everyone from African-Americans to trans people to, to all sorts of groups. That's OK, because Glenn gets to be on TV and that's what Glenn cares about. Um, but but anybody else, you know, says, first of all, that I think John Bolton's an abhorrent character. That doesn't mean everything he's saying is false, particularly when it fits the pattern of what everybody else from John Mattis to Rex Tillerson to a million other people have said about Trump, like we can have two thoughts in our heads at the same time. Apparently Glenn can't. Glenn well, can only have yeah. Bolton bad, Bolton must be lying. As opposed to Bolton bad, Trump terrible, Bolton could actually be telling the truth and everything Bolton is saying fits a pattern of what Trump's done with the Ukraine, Russia, many other places. So yeah, seems like- I don't think that's what's, but I don't think that's what's going on. My, my point was that- Your point is that Putin owns is Glenn is what you're trying to say. I would never say that because that would probably get me sued. But I am saying that it is highly suspicious to me that when Bolton is doing some major damage to Trump, that Glenn wants to sit here and say, yes, but he's not. Let's deflect. Let's deflect away from him criticizing Trump and focus Again. on the fact that 10 years ago or five years ago, he was a very bad man, which he was a very bad man. I mean, he is. But but. It's oh, he's highly, a terrible person. But in but, the middle of wait, Cliff, let me finish, please. <laughs> in the but, middle of in the middle of all of this, anybody who right now wants to scream at the top of their lungs, "Oh my God, Bolton's a bad man!" on the left, now is not the time you need to be reminding people because nobody is suggesting that Bolton is becoming Biden's. No, that's VP. fair enough. It's I, I'm I, saying I, it's he's both, he sounds like I'm he's saying. doing it. He sounds like he's doing it for a reason. That's what. No, Biden's I agree. Doing. Okay, yeah. I agree with that. I, I was yeah. only saying, I apologize, I was jumping oh. in there a lot, even for me, um, which is I can say two things at the same time. I can say Bolton has done terrible things, yeah. advocated stupid wars, whatever. That doesn't mean he's lying here. It, it may mean he's telling the truth. Exactly. This is Nixon you know? goes to China. We've got right. Bolton is such a freaking uber conservative. That's why we all freaked out. He's a warmongering far right nut. And the warmongering far right nut got into the Trump administration and said, these guys are crazy. Right. I mean, that's it's not Bernie Sanders saying it. It's somebody who should be in line with Trump on a lot of things. And that's interesting. 
and that's but, a, but, but I mean, Glenn yeah. plays that angle, and they do often, and that's yeah. why it's worth mentioning. Which is, oh, resistance liberals in love with you know, blah blah blah. Yeah. It's like I don't have to be in love with any of these people to think that people that have a national security background, you know, uh, like like uh, what's his name, oh, hmm. Clapper, you know, yeah. and people like you know people like Brennan, that, Brennan. Yeah. That that they have a national security background, that they may understand and know some things when it comes to Trump and Russia, the rest right. of us don't understand and know, and that when they're saying the same things that come out again and again, whether it's during an impeachment trial from all sorts of sources who were in, you know, Vindman and others, you know, working with Trump, when this stuff comes from them, when this stuff comes from from Trump's former lawyer who went to prison, who had turned against him. When this stuff yep. comes from other people who've known Trump for years, hell, Trump's own niece is writing a book that's going to probably back up a lot of this that's coming out within a month yeah, or two. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. When this stuff yep. comes from Madison, it comes from Tillerson. I'm sorry, there's a point where I don't give a damn if every one of those people is an angel or a terrific person I'd like to hang out with. Some of them may be terrible people. But when you've got a lot of people saying the same damn things and you've seen the same patterns yourself, it's probably true. <laughs> it's, this isn't difficult. You know, in fact, I go past probably it is like 99% true. So whatever. Yeah, I, what I also found yeah. funny was our old friend. Uh, and I say old friend because I don't know that, he, that we would call him that anymore. I certainly wouldn't. And I don't know where you are. Ryan Grimm, who has taken a terrible turn for into Glenn Greenwaldism, yeah. um, went after Amy McGrath in, in uh, Kentucky because there's a closer race now for the to get Ryan the is going after Amy now. That's correct, because there's a guy named Booker there, African-American, who's more progressive, and he's surging. And you know what? I'm not going to even get into it. Like, if, if Kentucky wants to nominate Booker, go ahead. They want to nominate McGrath. Right. I like McGrath a lot, but that's up to Kentucky. Right. But the point, to me, it's not even what he was doing. It's how he was doing it. He went after – this is what they do that just pisses me off. He went after McGrath because she sued a former roommate in small claims court for something like 15 years ago. Yeah. And so I responded. And wait, wait, what's the was, problem with that? Apparently that means she's a bad person because she's over litigious. Do you know, <laughs> like, I was like, I, I responded. I'm like, that's oh. great. Uh, uh, Ryan, do you have any fucking clue who you're working for? Like, do you remember the, those magazine exposés on how litigious Glenn is? Glenn sued his building because the elevator wasn't working when he lived in New York. He sued his landlord because the landlord said you couldn't have a dog over 30 pounds, and he and his roommate wanted a dog over 30 pounds, so he sued right. them. He sued U.S. Air because they had the incorrect number of miles on his, his miles. I mean, Glenn literally sues people for sneezing. Yeah. So it's like, so you're, if you're making a character-based attack on Amy McGrath for a small claims court suit that she couldn't work out with her roommate, dude, no. Give me a break. But, but Cliff, it's also the fact, I mean, the finer point on it is they're using this publication to try to get their candidates elected. And there is a difference between The Intercept being a, you know, liberal, I don't know what you want to call them, but sort of rabble. Super Actually, they were a super well, pack. That's what they should that, be. Well, that's what they should be, because what they're supposed to be is this sort of good government, anti-government, maybe good government's a better way of, a nicer way of putting it, publication, not, not a publication that's meant to endorse uh, which liberal candidate and then literally go, write, go on witch hunts against people. They that's the like. thing that I really feel like they're, they're writing. They're Fox. Article. They're writing. They're, 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 they're Fox. They're writing. If you partisan claim they're articles. different, they're propaganda yeah. hiding behind yeah. the, 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 the hiding behind yeah. uh, the term journalism. They are not. And journalists. It's, and it's, Glenn, it's not, you know, yeah. whatever they want, any of them once were, 
you know, whatever Ryan once was, whatever him, they are not. They are knee deep in it now. They are propagandists for whatever yeah. reason. I don't really, you, you know, I, I don't even feel like that's necessary to go into. Whether you think it's because, you know, they've got some relationship with Vladimir Putin or because they hate liberals because they hate liberals or because Glenn got pissed because Rachel Maddow stopped inviting him on her show. It could be all of the above. It could be none of the above. I don't really care. The point is, is they, they take a journalistic, so-called journalistic organ. And it is a propaganda outfit that pushes yeah. their politics hiding behind journalism. That makes them no different than, different than Fox. Well, and it, I tell it, you what I makes, am from the front. But it, you it, makes me un, it makes me unfortunately not trust them anymore. Oh, my God. I don't trust anything. That's the, that's the thing because it's not – I think what they claim to be – I'm trying to sort of put a finer point on it. What they claim to be was we're not afraid to take on the left. And if, if Obama does something wrong, we're going to take him on too, right? So it's sort of this, you know, we're very lefty agitators. Yeah. We go after both sides. They don't go after both sides. No. They they have an agenda, and their agenda is very partisan. And I worry that I don't trust what they write anymore because I feel like I worry that it's reverse engineered. In other words, they've oh, reached a conclusion. They've retracted a number of things. Yeah, that's, in, it's. I mean, you but know, they reverse engineer it from a conclusion they've already reached, which is, no, no, this is the socialist candidate. We want her. So let's manufacture a bunch of stories about the other guy. I just, I mean, no, the guys, whole, the whole, I mean, the whole point of their publication is Oof. to discredit and attack liberalism. And they don't care how they do that. They can do that by by supporting candidates to the left. They can do that by going after and grabbing false scandals that are complete bullshit about right. major Democratic figures. They can do that sometimes by even going on Tucker Carlson's show and embracing people on the right. They've got numerous tactics, but all those tactics, if you look at them, amount to the same strategy. It is to discredit liberals wherever yep. they are. That yep. is what they are trying Oof. to do. Oof. That is not, I mean, again, Man. and you have the right to do that. Just be honest about it. Be Call yourself a super PAC call, or call yourself a C4, collect funds and go out there and do it. But to hide behind journalism and act like you're a journalistic organ is such it's bullshit. Yeah. It's no different than Fox as far as I'm concerned. Oh, my. Anyway. Um, In case, I want to give you before we leave, folks. I know you got to um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, you gotta, it, oh, you it, know what? And I got to do the clean and I got to do the clean phone pro before we well, go too. We do. Let me tell people your yep. website you want to go to is impact.uc.edu. Okay. If you go to impact.uc.edu, you will, you will get there. Um, and, uh, oh, no, wait, hold on. Oh, damn it. Oh, oh. Hold on. It, it's impact.uc.edu. <laughs> impact and then there's, it's slash project. That's why we're going to have to put this link in there for everybody. Slash 20689. I know that's not easy, but I'll, let me read it to you a second time slowly. Impact.uc.edu slash project slash 20689. That will get you to the fundraising page for this campaign. I will put it everywhere. John will have it in yep. our tweet. John will have it in our Patreon, America blog, or whatever. Please give. It's an important organization doing important work. Okay, quick message from Clean Phone, and then we're going to go. Now more than ever, we're all thinking about our hygiene, washing our hands, sneezing into our arms. Well, fewer and fewer people are, but they should be. But we are still talking, taking a huge carrier of virus with us everywhere, our phones. Our phones are a vector for disease, and we rarely clean them. We are constantly touching our phones with our hands and even pressing them to our face. It's time to take cleaning your phone seriously. The Clean Phone Pro Sanitizer uses medically proven UV light technology to kill 99.99% of all bacteria 
bacteria that comes in contact with your phone. Better than wipes and safe for your device, the Clean Phone Pro gets every inch of your phone clean with 9H. Uh, high-power UVC lights. Dedicated wireless charging pad on top of the chamber lets you sanitize items inside while you wirelessly charge your phone on top. Or just use the Clean Phone Pro as your go-to charging station at any time. Fully removable top means easier fit for more items and larger items. Go to thecleanphone.com and get one for just $89 and free shipping when you use the code SEXYLIBERAL, one word. If you're serious about hygiene, it's time to get serious about cleaning your phone. Go to thecleanphone.com and keep your phone truly clean. Remember to use the code SEXYLIBERAL, one word, to ensure that you get two-day free shipping and it'll ship immediately. That's thecleanphone.com, thecleanphone.com. Hey! All right, folks. Well, as one of your favorite two co-hosts here uh, has a call for work, he has to be on in about six minutes. I think I think we've covered everything, right? No, this was this was a very long show actually. Yeah, so we're good. informative. I mean, Mark is a terrific. I mean, he's a yeah, he's very interesting. But he knows talking, stuff. But I hope good. folks learned a lot. And I think especially yep. in lives it, with Black Lives Matter, this is a learning moment, and yep. people should you know learn. So very interesting. Thanks for very being good. here, guys. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks everybody. Take care.